Well, I'm super excited about this next series that we are about to begin uh, called For the Life of the World. For the Life of the World. Along with this teaching series, there is a movie that was created. It's really good. Uh, It's not cheesy. Um, It's super encouraging and challenging. And so we're going to be viewing this movie over the next seven weeks in small groups. Uh, In your bulletin, there should be information and it should say we, where these are, what times, there's going to be an opportunity every night of the week, Sunday through Thursday. Uh, there's one during the day on Thursday, so we'd love for you to come and participate, watch a clip, and then you'll discuss about what you have observed and watched. And so we'd love for you to participate. I believe that we hinder ourselves sometimes when our only spiritual formation, our only time that we spend with God and with each other is only in this Sunday morning. I think we can go much deeper. I think we can grow closer to God if we spend time with one another talking about what has been discussed on Sunday mornings. And so we'd love for you to be a part of that. My goal in this series is for us to begin to figure out what our lives are for. That we could begin to to question and wonder, what what is my life for? Is this just an accident? Does my life matter? Does Does it benefit anybody else? What is my life four. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was extremely excited when Ikea opened up here in St. Louis. Uh, My wife and I would have to travel to Chicago, who has two Ikeas. Uh, We would travel to Chicago, and we would have our list of things that we needed. And if you've ever been to Ikea, one of the best things is 99 cent breakfast and coffee, if you don't know that. Uh, Breakfast and coffee for 99 cents. And then you walk through, and you, you see these rooms that are set up. And Going off of last week, uh, you realize how mediocre your house is when you walk through a, a, a Ikea, <clears throat> and you see these things, and you, you pick out the furniture you want. Maybe you ever shopped at Ikea? Maybe you ever purchased something from Ikea? Okay, so you, you go, and you, you see what you want, and you write it down, and then you go down kind of in a warehouse area, and, and you look for your item, and then it's amazing. This dresser comes in a box that's like about this size, it feels like, and, and it has the directions of how you put it together, and there's, there's no words. It's kind of poorly drawn pictures, it feels like sometimes. And so it is a difficult thing to to put together Ikea furniture, at least for me. But almost every time when I end with a piece of Ikea furniture, I have pieces left over. And I don't know if I'm supposed to because it doesn't tell me. And and I don't know if if when I've assembled it, I've left something out. I've I've turned pieces before the wrong wrong way because it's difficult. And, and there's instructions, you know, some assembly required. Some assembly required. And as I think about our lives, I think how sometimes it's hard to kind of begin to put all the pieces together. Doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like at times we have very distinct areas of our lives? And so I have my home life, and that's my home life. And if I work outside of the home, then I, I go to work and I, and I put in my hours and I have, my, I have my work life. And maybe you're a student or maybe you've gone back to school and you have that part of your life. And then you have your peers and you have your friends and what you do on the weekend and it's very compartmentalized. And then we wonder, is there any connection between all of those things? Is there some way we could assemble all of this to where it would fit together? Does God intend on our lives to to be lived out in these categories? Or is it all supposed to fit together? So maybe you're confused. Maybe you're confused on how your faith, specifically if you're a follower of Jesus, how your faith impacts and intersects all those other areas. 
So we're going to look at over the next seven weeks. And what I hope is that we'll understand that these pieces, when they've been put together, it creates this life that God is calling us to live. That just maybe, maybe everything is actually working together for the good. Maybe all of these areas actually, when put together, benefit others. Uh, the message today is specifically for those of you who call yourself Christians. And so maybe you're hearing, like, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I, one, I've never been to church. I don't know if I even believe in, in God. My hope for you today is you get a clear picture of what God is calling Christians to do. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is going to be a message that speaks directly to us and how we should live our lives. Well, each week as we look at a topic, I'm going to show a very quick a kind of a teaser video of the movie of what will be watched that week. So here's the first one. I don't know how you feel about that line that he gives uh, there at the beginning, that I'm sick of how we Christians deal with the world. I don't know how you feel. I don't know what thoughts come to your mind. There's a word that's used in uh, this clip, and it's used throughout the scriptures, but this idea that there's a group of people who were sent into exile. And in the Old Testament, this is the passage we're going to look at. It's found in Jeremiah 29. It's been referenced several times in messages that I've preached. If you walk in the side doors here, it's actually on the wall. And in it, it uses the word exile, but, but also in the New Testament. So after Jesus comes and the New Testament, the account of Jesus's life, we have writings by a guy named Paul, by a guy named Peter, and they use the word exile as well. And what it means is strangers, foreigners, aliens, uh, people who are living somewhere who isn't necessarily their home. It's not where they intend or where they want to be. And so we're going to have to figure out how, how do we Christians deal with the world? What, what would God ask of us to do in our world? How do we live as strangers, as, as aliens? Because there is this idea that we are called somewhere else. Our home is in heaven. We believe that God is creating a perfect place for us. And so that's why we, we have grief and sorrow and we begin to wonder, man, isn't our world supposed to be different? Right? There's this longing in our hearts for things to be different. And that's because we, we have this longing for how heaven is going to be. But this is our home now. And so what does it look like for us to live here now? And so you have this group of people, just a little history. You have the, the Israelites who we looked at for, for uh, nine weeks and we looked at the, the commandments and how God had rescued them and brought them out and they now have made it to where they were headed to go. But they're struggling. They, they still have other idols. They're not seeking God. And so Babylon, this powerful military uh, group of people, they come and they defeat the Israelites and they take them into captivity. They remove them from their home. This is not a good trip. They're not signing up for this trip. The Israelites are not making personalized shirts like when you go to Disney. Uh, they're not planning what this is going to be like. They are struggling. They're probably afraid. There's frustration. There's this confusing time. There's this wondering of what life is going to be like. They may not have even gone without a fight. 
But they are now in captivity and they are in exile and they are no longer home. Let's read Jeremiah 29. If you don't own a Bible, there's a red Bible around you. Now that's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have that. If you have a smartphone um, and you want to take notes through that, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, Each week, this is going to build. This message is going to set us up for the rest of the the weeks. And so if you want to take notes um, to remind yourself, that would probably be important. 29 verse 4. Uh, 1 through 3 is going to explain uh, what what gets them here. But verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So they're, they're in this community, and they're trying to figure out, how do they live here now? And they receive this letter. Jeremiah pins this letter to them and, and says, here, here's how you're, you're going to have to do life now. Here's how you are going to have to deal with the world you're living in. So let's just real quickly, let, let's think about how we as the church, as Christians, often deal with the world. You might find yourself in one of these categories. If you're like me, you find yourself in all three at different places, at different levels. Uh, But one of the things we do as the church, as Christians, is this idea of fortification. We hide. We hide from the world. We protect ourselves from those people. We protect ourselves from the culture around us. We, we believe that we're under attack, and so we withdraw these boxes just kind of to, to serve this idea. Uh, we, we, we hide. We, we get away from it, and we peek around, and we think, what's going on out there? I need to protect myself back here. We, we create Christian subcultures. We, we have this idea that, man, I have to put myself in a place where I, I have to guard and protect my kids. And not that we, we don't. But this idea that we have to build this fortification around ourselves. We buy into the idea that we just have to endure. That we just hold on. That, that things eventually will get better. Things will eventually change. So maybe some of you, maybe you feel like you hide from the world and from culture. Or we, the second one is domination. Right? So maybe we've been in hiding and we come back out and we think, all right, we've got we to gotta fight this out. Right? We've even used that language. We have to fight against culture. We have to fight and take back what is ours. Our kids' future depends on it. We take the idea that those people, those who are in the culture, those who live differently than us are our enemy, not our neighbors who are meant to be loved. And so we step out from from hiding and we fight. Or the third one, and this is the most convenient, and if you think of life as a pendulum, if we have swung really far into the fortification, often what happens is we'll swing all the way back to the other side and we become people who just accommodate. We just Accommodation is the the third one. We just blend in. We just blend in. 
So we see the changes that are happening in the world and we think, man, I don't know if I can stand up against that. I don't know if I want to stand out. And so I'm just going to kind of participate a little bit. I'm just going to blend in. My life isn't going to really look different than those who are in the culture, who are out there, who aren't followers of Jesus. I promise, this is the most convenient posture to take. This is the most convenient. So our lives begin to look very closely to those people who do not confess to follow Jesus. The way I live our lives reflects those in the world. And so too often, this is how we as the church, as Christians, we respond to culture. And the struggles you feel, the the disconnectedness maybe you feel with the world as a follower of Jesus, is probably nothing compared to how the people are feeling in Babylon. Probably nothing compared to what they're feeling. And so I know that that sense maybe you have that, that, that Christians, that the church has lost power. That they're taking something from us. They, the world, are out to get us. Maybe we even see ourselves as, as victims. And so we take these postures. We just hide or we fight or we blend in. But, but maybe, and it's the line at the end, this is so good, maybe, maybe, What God is calling those people who are in captivity in Babylon is the same thing he's calling you and I to today. So what is he calling them to? I want to take each one of these and and look at the scripture here in Jeremiah 29 and and look at what the letter is saying to those in exile and what they're supposed to do. Uh, Verse 4 and 5 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. So if we're not going to fortify ourselves, if we're not going to hide, the opposite really is to immigrate. When someone immigrates, their intent is to make that place their home. It's not temporary. They become a part of what is happening there. They don't lose their identity Where they are from is not lost, but they intend on this new place to be their home. And so in this letter, it's saying, look, you got to move in. You need to get comfortable because this is going to be your home. Uh, They had set a camp outside of the city. They, They had been moved into Babylon, but they had not moved completely in. They're on the outskirts and they're, again, staying just together and they're not diving in completely to where they have been sent. And so this news probably would have been difficult to hear them say, to, to hear the letter say. I mean, maybe they thought it was going to be a short time, but, but now they're being told to build homes. Like you only build in a place where you plan on being for a while. I don't know if any of you have built a house. Uh, I would buy a house, but if I'm going to build a house, I'm planning on being there a while. And the letter says you need to go there and you need to build houses and settle down. This is your new home. And so what he's telling them is quit enduring and engage. Quit enduring and engage. In 2009, uh, with a couple of friends, we we ran the Chicago Marathon. Uh, So 26.2 miles. Uh, We were extremely excited for the the race, and there's 40,000 people who run the marathon together in Chicago. About a million and a half people stand on the streets 
to watch everyone run the marathon. You run through the, the neighborhoods of Chicago. There's music and there's people passing out uh, little, little pieces of candy to help you get you through the, the run and water and Gatorade. And it's an event. And I remember probably the first 13 miles, 15 miles, it was good. Like I'm engaging with people and, and people are calling out your name and I'm, I'm high-fiving and I'm, I'm, I'm taking my time and I'm stopping and I'm getting drinks and you're just kind of taking it all in and you're engaging. But then something happened. Verse 18, or, uh, mile 18, mile 20, I don't feel very good. My knee starts to bother me and I'm starting to cramp and I get frustrated every time a person passes me, especially the 80-year-old man who I can close my eyes and I can see him just smoothly run by me. I quit engaging. I quit engaging. And literally, if I had a rope, I'm holding on to the end of my rope, just hoping to finish. At this point, I'm just enduring. The letter here says, don't just endure. Don't just get through the race. Don't just get through life. Don't just live where you live and just make it through another day. He says, you build homes, you settle down, and you engage here. And he not only tells them to build homes, but he also tells them to plant gardens, to work the ground, to make better where you are living. It's also interesting here, they could have just won. They could have just died as they went into captivity. Um, they could have expected the, the Babylons to take care of them. But the letter says, no, no, no. You produce something. You, you make the economy better. You, you make life better for everyone who lives around you. And so for us, when we get to the point where, man, it's just another day, another thing happens, we feel like the world is against us, we feel like as Christians we're, we're lost in this world, everything in culture wants to speak against what we believe and we want to just fortify ourselves, we want to just go and hide. Let me encourage you. Become immigrants. See that this is your home here and now. Settle in. Engage what is happening. It is almost as if, it's almost as if this letter is telling the Israelites, Babylon should now be a better place because you have been carried into captivity there. Babylon should be better now because you are there it shouldn't be old Babylon. It should be Babylon plus the Israelites. Life should look different because you are going to build homes and you're going to settle in. You're going to plant gardens. This is your home. Second thing, accommodation or blending in. I'm going to jump to that one. I think it's the, the opposite of just blending in is we live very distinct lives. We live distinct lives. Verse 6, it says, Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. So the last line, I don't know how you would feel if you were taken into captivity. I don't know for me, if I, if I went in, I'd think, I'm just going to die here. Do I, do I really want to bring kids into this place? You ever heard anyone say that here and now? Have you ever heard someone or seen someone type on social media, I'm so glad I'm not raising kids in today's world. You've seen that. You've heard it. I'm glad my kids don't go to school there. 
man, I, I'm glad my kids have graduated and they're no longer in this area. I hear that. I see that. The letter says, no, you need to increase. You need to produce something in your life. You, what you believe, the foundation that you have, what you think about God, you're going to have kids and you're going to give that to your kids. And then they say, you're also going to become grandparents. You're going to be here for a long time. You're going to have kids and then they're going to have kids. And you're going to pass on what you believe and the life that you think you're called to live. But again, the danger for many of us is to fight against it. The, the danger for many of us is to hide from it. But, but what if we say, look, we want to be distinct in the midst of it. Not with a bullhorn. Not demeaning people. Not, not being argumentative, but with our lives. And when we have opportunity to speak up about what we believe, we speak up. But we don't just accommodate or blend in. Jesus at one point... Uh, Greg was reading from the Sermon on the Mount. At one point, Jesus uses the language as uh, the people being a city on the hill. And the language would have been used in a culture, in a place, uh, where he would have been speaking. There would have been a water area. There would have been a, a sea. And there would have been a city in the area that the lights would have been the place that anyone on the ocean, anyone on the sea, uh, would see the city and they would always know where they're at. That if the, the, the waves got rough, if they were in danger, as long as they saw the light, they knew where to go, where there would be safety. And Jesus says, everywhere you go, you are a little city on a hill. Everywhere you go as a follower of Jesus, you are carrying the presence of God with you. The light of the world is with you. He, he says that you should do your good deeds so that people will praise your Father in heaven, that we live very distinct lives, that we don't just blend in. Paul uses the word ambassador, that we are Christ's ambassador. Uh, what that means is, and I was listening to NPR this week, and they were talking, about, talking to the ambassador uh, from Iran who lives here in our country and could come across as an American. And here's the deal. He has not lost he is not lost in, in who he is or what he believes or his culture, but he is living in a place. He sounds very much American, as much as he can coming from another country. He has bought into what is happening here. He cares for our country as much as he cares for his own country. And so for us, as people who believe our home is in heaven, this is where we are ambassadors to. We have brought heaven with us. We have brought the ways of God with us, and we have to live lives that are distinct. And so Jeremiah says, don't, don't decrease, don't give up, but increase and give back to where you are currently living. And then the third one, instead of the domination or fighting, it would be contributing. Verse seven, and I have to say, this is probably the, the hardest um, one for them to hear. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I mean, can you imagine getting this letter? You, you might hate the Babylons. They are your enemies. 
They have defeated you. And now you get this letter that says, I need to seek the peace and prosperity of their city. That I, I need to pray to God for them. For, for them to have peace. This is a word shalom. Like we don't have a word that is good enough for this word in the scriptures. It's this wholeness, this peace in every area of their lives. Jeremiah says, seek the peace of the people you are living with. Seek the prosperity of the people who have carried you into exile and pray for them. Now, this is really interesting. Psalm 122, the Israelites would have had a prayer that they would have prayed for their people. Listen to this, Psalm 122, and see how familiar this sounds. Psalms 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my brothers and friends, I will say, peace be with you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Man, that sounds very familiar. But there's been a very clear change. It's no longer saying just seek the peace and prosperity and pray for those who live like you or think like you or believe like you. He is saying seek the peace and prosperity of everyone. Of everyone. It's easy to pray this prayer for ourselves and for people who are like us. But the ones who we think are out to get us, the ones who we think are causing problems, who are completely against the Christian way, to pray for them to prosper, that's hard. That is hard. But then he says, look, if they prosper, you too prosper. If they have wholeness, you have wholeness. If they have peace, you have peace. This almost sounds like something Jesus would say. Like it almost sounds like something where Jesus would say that we're to bless our enemies. It almost sounds like something where Jesus would say to pray for those who persecute you. Look, following Jesus is not easy. It is a radical way of doing life. And the instruction to these people is now where you live, you need to contribute and seek the peace and prosperity of everyone around you. So he, here's, I, I, I struggled because I thought, okay, I, I feel like I need to give some tangible ideas. Like what does it look like to contribute and what, what does it look like to no longer just blend in? But, but here's my thought. You have to figure that out for yourself. You have to seek God and ask God, what does this look like for me? Where am I hiding? What, in what way am I fighting against culture? In what way is my life just look like everyone else's life who, who doesn't claim to follow Jesus? Because I know for me and for my family, there's some things we've committed to. We are committed to a neighborhood and to a school. Uh, we, we've, we've thought about moving because we'd like a, a, a little bit of a bigger house and, and just some things we're talking through as a, a couple and as a family. And we are looking at about five streets. Because for us, we, we don't want to leave the elementary where we're at. We, we don't want to leave our middle school and eventually our... So for us, we have decided we are pouring into this place where we are. Uh, we have committed to longevity. 
So 12 and a half years of, of being here in, in North County and at, at Trinity, we have made the decision that if we are going to have lasting impact, not as a pastor, but as a family, that it's going to take longevity and it's going to be committing to a community and a church. That for us, that we are personally going to seek the, the welfare, the shalom of all of our neighbors that we can. Not just those who believe like us or look like us or worship like us, but if they are our neighbor and they are in need, then we are committed to do all that we personally can. And we can't do everything. Just real quickly, I haven't talked a lot about this, but there was a young mo- uh, uh, boy that I came in contact with. His name was Deontay. I- I've-, I've talked about him briefly a few times. He was a part of the Fit family, uh, which means he was a family in transition, so he was homeless, and he was an unaccompanied minor, which means he has no guardians, really. Um, so at 13, I just found this out, at 13, he kind of began his journey of couch surfing. And so from 13 to 18, he really had no home. He graduated, uh, AB average, his senior year, graduated from Hazelwood East. He's going to school at Forest Park Community College. He's working around 25 hours a week at Schnucks. And I've come in contact with him, and, 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 and he, he's never been here, and I don't know if he'll ever come here. Uh, he knows what I believe. He knows I'm a pastor. Um, but, but for me... I see a young man who, who has not experienced shalom and nothing to do with his choices. It's been choices of, of maybe systems. It's been choices of his parents. But he was in a place where he was not experiencing wholeness. And so for me, I've committed myself to this young man, Deontay. I've taught him to drive this summer. He finally, second time, passed his, his driver's test. I wasn't a very good instructor, uh, but he got his driver's test. And then a family in the church had found out about this and gave him a car. And then another family found out that there was some stuff that needed to be done on the car. And so they financially helped get what needs to be done to the, the car. And I'm having conversations with Deontay about his future and my family is pouring into this. You know what I mean? I can't do it with everybody. You can't do it with everyone, but what, what would it look like for you to find someone who is not experiencing Shalom wholeness, and peace. What would it look like for you to care deeply about them? Not because they live like you or look like you or believe like you, but simply because they're your neighbor who is not experiencing shalom. And so we figure out how we can participate in what's going on in our community. And here's the hard part. It means investing in a place that I may never see the fruit. It means pouring into a place not knowing what it's going to look like generations later, but trusting that God has put me where he has for a purpose. And it's not for myself only, and it's not for just my family, but my life. God saving me and rescuing me is actually for the life of the world. And let's just break it down even more. The life of North County. The life of St. Louis, wherever you live in this community the life of our country and the life of those outside of this place. Just real quickly, Greg's going to come up, but I want to, I want to read how this ends. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 13. Some of you know 29, 11. You may have a coffee cup. Uh, you may have got a poster or something that this is written on. And this scripture is taken out of context a lot. And so listen, because we've just talked about what, what Jeremiah has written to people in captivity. So let's listen, verse 10 through 13. This is what the Lord says. 
When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. He's just told him, 70 years, you're going to be here. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. He's telling them, look, I know you're discouraged. I know maybe you're afraid. You don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. You are in captivity. You are exiles. You are strangers in a strange land. But, but, I know what I have planned for you. I have plans that are going to prosper you, not, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. And that hope and a future is actually going to benefit everyone around you. Jesus has done this for us. Jesus leaves heaven and he enters into our world. He enters into a place that is not his home and he gives himself completely for us. We do this as followers of Jesus because we know what God has done on our behalf. So what if, what if what Jeremiah is telling the captives, those in exile in Babylon, is actually what he's telling you and me today. That you and I are going to make this our home. That we're going to settle down here. We're not going to fight against the the culture, but we're going to contribute. We're going to make a difference here and now. And we're going to live such distinct lives that people around us will say, what is different about you? Why do you care deeply about people that you know nothing about? Why do you care about people who don't live or believe like you? And we will say, because this life is not our own, that our lives are for the life of the world. Would you stand with me as I pray? And we're going to sing this as we end this song, as we sing. I hope this is impactful to you every week. Uh, This is a declaration of this is what we are going to cling onto. This is what we believe as individuals and as a church. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the challenge that you've placed on our lives. God, it is hard at times. As followers of Jesus, to see things that happen around us, things that maybe go against our values or what we want to happen or what we believe. And so, God, would you f- help us to fight against the temptation to just fight against it or to hide from it or just to look like it. Lord, would you give us the the strength and the courage to seek the peace and prosperity of this place? God, would you use us? Would you use each one of our lives? Would you use us as Trinity, as a church? But God, we leave this place. We go back into our neighborhoods and we go back to the the people who live around us and the places that we work and, and our kids' lives and everything they're involved in and And the wonder that you've put in us, all of these areas that normally are separate pieces, God, would you help us to see that these all fit together? They all fit together and that everything we do can fall into this category of seeking the peace and prosperity of where you have placed us. God, would you help us to do that? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.